ranked by U.S. News & World Report among the top 10 rehabilitation hospitals in the nation. Shepherd Center specializes in medical treatment, research, and rehabilitation for people with spinal cord injury and brain injury. As a service to our community, we present Shepherd Center Radio with host Melanie Cole. The increasingly widespread use of opioid painkillers for chronic pain has created a public health crisis as many people are abusing these highly addictive medications. However, a pain intervention and specialists actually have a number of alternative treatments that may address chronic pain with little or no medication. My guest today is Dr. Eric Shaw. He's an interventional pain management specialist at Shepherd Spine and Pain Institute. Welcome to the show, Dr. Shaw. First, tell us what are opioid medications, and what are they used for? Opioid pain medications are derived from the opium poppy and are powerful analgesics or pain relievers that help both pain after surgery or after trauma and can be used sometimes for patients that suffer severe chronic pain after a long-term injury or degenerative disease such as degenerative back disease or lumbar disc disease. Are opioids generally considered safe? Well, that's a loaded question and can be very nuanced in its answer. So roughly speaking, in trained hands uh, with with an expert, opioids can be safe. There is little data to suggest that they have long-term efficacy for chronic pain. That being said, in select patients, if you monitor them carefully for improved function, quality of life and overall well-being and monitor side effects, they can be very helpful. But they can cause addiction. Patients can misuse them. They can put patients at risk for significant complications such as constipation when mixed with other um, central nervous system depressants like alcohol or medicines like Valium or Xanax, they can significantly compromise the respiratory drive and put patients at risk for respiratory arrest and death. So they can be helpful, but they need to be monitored carefully. Um, And the doses generally are thought to have somewhat of a ceiling from a safety and long-term efficacy perspective. Some practitioners don't necessarily agree with that, and they will escalate the dose as long as they're monitoring the patient for quality of life and function. Then I, then I think that could be reasonable, but it needs to be monitored carefully by someone that has a lot of experience. What is and what isn't known about long-term use of opioids? Do some people have to stay on these things for their chronic pain, and does that mean that they're necessarily addicted to them? So just because someone's been on a medication for 5 or 10 or 20 years doesn't mean that they're addicted. It, doesn't, it will cause dependence and tolerance. So anybody may know that chronic use of opioids may decrease in efficacy or function in terms of relief of pain the longer that they've been on it. So they may need to increase their dose, and that's called tolerance. And dependence is if you stop the the medication abruptly, they'll have a withdrawal syndrome for it. Now, addiction is where you are misusing the drug or using it to get other illegal substances or engaging in detrimental self-harm or harm to others in order to obtain more of the same medication. That's addiction. And while it's generally regarded to be between 
2 and 15%, depending upon the, the study that you want to quote, it's not necessarily all the patients. And just because they've been on a medication for an extended period of time doesn't mean that they're all addicted to it. It does usually mean that the other two uh, definitions that I gave are, are uh, applicable, however. Due to this risk of misuse and addiction, Shepherd Pain Institute ventures beyond narcotics to treat pain. Tell us about some of the things that you do that are non-narcotic pain relievers. Absolutely. So if we're taking low back pain as an example, which is a very common complaint among uh, our population here in the United States, there are many things that can be done depending upon the diagnosis, the severity of the pain, and the functional limitations to the patient. So as physical medicine rehabilitation specialists, uh, we take into account all the functional quality of life and adjunctive issues in terms of depression, work status, relationship with family, and others that may be impacted by the pain, and, and look at the exact diagnosis, whether it be degenerative disc disease or pinched nerve or, mu- or muscle sprain, and address that specifically. And so any number of injections can be done that are relatively simple, done either at the bedside with ultrasound or under fluoroscopic guidance, which is a live x-ray beam under relatively low power to see if you can target the pain and relieve it in conjunction with physical therapy. And sometimes with psychotherapy, we can use non-opioid medications, which can be very helpful and sometimes uh, physical therapy is very appropriate to help the patient regain function and improvement and help them understand how they can move and exercises they can do that will not be harmful to them just because they're experiencing pain. As no two patients experience pain the same way, how do you determine from a patient how much pain they're really in? That's uh, No one's come up with a painometer yet, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that sometime in the future someone will discover one, but until that happens, you have to take into account lots of different factors, behavior, pain rating, demeanor, function on physical exam, and to make sure everything kind of makes sense. Sometimes when patients are experiencing a significant amount of pain, but their disease state, their x-rays, their MRI, and their physical exam is not that compromised, that's when a psychologist maybe really helps them get a few more coping skills. They may have depression as their primary issue, and, and pain is simply a manifestation of it. They may have, um, have had an emotional trauma that has led to pain that could be helped with psychology as well. So it's, it's important to look at all facets of, of a person to help the, the total person, and that sometimes includes medications, Uh, sometimes includes physical therapy, sometimes includes injections, and sometimes includes psychotherapy, or sometimes includes all of it. And so it's important to individualize the therapy for each patient, depending upon their specific needs. So you mentioned medication, and with these other therapies, is sometimes medication also something that you might use so that they would go along as co-therapies? Absolutely. So medication can be very helpful, and the goal is to wean or to reduce the medication as the patient tolerates and starts to get stronger and more active. 
sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes somebody has a uh, chronic condition that can't really be improved, such as severe scoliosis of the spine, which can happen as we age, um, cannot, may not be amenable or help, helped by surgery or the risk of surgery may be much greater. And so those kinds of issues tend to be uh, very difficult to treat in a simplistic way. And so some medications which are in the opioid family are generally a little bit safer and have a little bit less risk to them. Unfortunately, they're also more expensive and insurance companies don't always want to pay for them. So um, it's the classic struggle from the provider trying to prescribe what they think is in the in the best interest of the patient and then, uh, then having financial challenges to kind of see that therapy through. So it's always something that we struggle with, that we balance the risks, the cost of all these different things and uh, try to move the patient forward uh, overall. Explain a little bit about neuromodulation, Dr. Shaw, and how sure. that works for people to help control their pain. So, so the, some of the approved indications are chronic low back and leg pain after spinal fusion surgery. And so a lot of times after a spinal fusion surgery, somebody may continue to have low back pain or their original low back pain may be placed with a new uh, back pain after the surgery, and they may also continue to have leg, leg pain. And so spinal cord stimulation, um, which is the most common type of neuromodulation, is a small electrode that's placed in the epidural space floating behind the spinal cord, frequently uh, in the area of the lower several ribs, sometimes in the mid middle of the thoracic spine, which is the thoracic spine is where the ribs are, or even sometimes the upper, depending upon what part of the body you're trying to cover. And it tends to cover up the pain with a pleasant tingling vibration kind of sensation, which the patient finds more pleasurable and pleasing than the pain. And this is uh, then, so there's a trial period, which is usually four to seven days. And then if that trial is successful, hopefully at least 30 to 50% reduction in pain, as well as improvement in function and reduction in pain medication, then that, that patient can be thought to be a successful candidate and go on to permanent implantation of the device. So the leads are therefore placed permanently in a spine floating behind the, the uh, spinal cord, and the battery is placed usually in the hip or the flank uh, under the skin. It's you can think about it like a pacemaker for pain. It blocks the pain signal and replaces it with a vibration or a tingling, which generally allows the patient to be more functional, have a better quality of life, be more active, and take less medication. So then speak about biofeedback as a treatment option and a coping mechanism, because a lot of the issues with pain is how much you can tolerate and being able to live that quality of life. So anybody listening to the program may have noted that they have more pain when they're stressed out or they get a headache, and this is all because the body's response to stress. And so biofeedback and different kinds of coping mechanisms, which are the psychological aspects of what we do, can really be helpful in helping to reframe and give patients alternate ways to, to deal with the pain rather than just taking a pill. And it's obviously more helpful for some patients that really understand how this is important and viable for their life. And some patients just don't understand that concept and have a difficult time really incorporating it into their lives. But nonetheless, it's 
applicable and suggested for the majority of our patients. Um, um, and sometimes it's very successful and you can go on to have very uh, successful reduction or elimination of pain medication with little, little or no other treatment other than the biofeedback or the coping mechanisms. Sometimes it allows the patient to tolerate and be ready to accept the next stage of treatment, whether it be an injection or different medications or neuromodulation. In just the last few minutes, Dr. Shaw, please explain a little bit about the Shepherd Spine and Pain Institute and your multidisciplinary approach. Sure. So we have two physicians, one nurse practitioner, four nurses, four MAs, two psychologists, and a physical therapist. And we all work together to, as a, as a team-oriented approach to help the patient in all the multifaceted ways that we've just been discussing. And each person on the team has their individual role, but we all work together because a lot of times the nurses will remind me about something that maybe I haven't considered for a certain patient, or I will remind the nurses, please educate them about the TENS unit, which is a, a skin device that can cause a little tingling as well. Um, the psychologist may bring up an aspect of their life, which I wasn't aware of, which can help me to focus my treatment with a different medications or send them to another specialist. So we all work together. We discuss these patients on a regular basis to help and to augment different aspects of their lives to improve function and their quality of life and to maximize it to whatever extent is possible given their, their given condition. That's really what a good multidisciplinary team of pain approach should, should include. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Shaw. It's great information. You're listening to Shepherd Center Radio. And for more information, you can go to shepherd.org. That's shepherd.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.